So, I forgot to mention that my wife says hello to everyone. She's in Vrindavan now. So, we were married here. We started our first business here. We bought our first house here. We bought our first decent car here. I made the first, I made, not my first CD, but I made the first CD I ever made by myself, I made here. No, actually, that was that's true. I made two here. I made the first CD I ever made without anyone's help. I made here. And that was the first CD for kids I ever made. And then I made another CD, which I guess then was the second. But the second one was a bigger production. And I had to pat myself on the back because I'm not really technically gifted. And, uh, yeah. Amongst other things that we did here. So we're reading from the first canto, third chapter, text 12. Did I already say Om Namo? Did I or no? I did, yeah. So look at that. When you don't sleep enough, your memory goes. I can't even remember what I just did. That's sad. Tataha Saptama Akutyam Vrucher Ragyo Vayajayata Sa Yamadhai Suragana Apat Swayabhuvantaram Tata Saptama Akutyam Saptama Akutyam Rucher Yagyo Vayajata Yogyo Bayajayata Ucher Yogyo Bayajayata Yogyo Bayajayata Sayamadhyay Suraghanaya Yamadhyay Suraghanaya Apatswayambu Vantaram Swayambu Vantaram Tata Saptama Akutya Akutya Ruchyar Yagyo Bayajayata Chayagyo Bayajayata Sayamadhyay Suraghanaya Apatsayam bhuvantaram <laughs> 
Yamajai Suragana Svayabhuvantaram Saptama Akutyam Abhatsayam Bhuvantaram Akutyam Jayata Antara ladies Tata Saptama Akutyam Jayagyo Bayajayata Yamajaya Suragana Word meaning? Tataha. After that, Saptame, the seventh in the line, Akutyam, in the womb of Akuti, Ruchehe, by Prajapati Ruchi, Yajaha. The Lord's incarnation as Yajna, Abhay, Ab, Abhya Jayata, Jay. My tongue wants to say it the wrong way. It's Abhya Jayata, Jay. Advented, Saha, He. Yama Adyai with Yama and others Suraganai with demigods Apat ruled Sayambhuva Antaram the change of the period of Swayambhuva Manu. Can somebody go on my Facebook page and see if you can actually hear this? Sometimes I put a microphone on and it doesn't work. Translation. The seventh incarnation was Yagya, the son of Prajapati Ruchi and his wife Akuti. He controlled the period during the reign of Swayambhuva Manu and was assisted by demigods such as his son Yama. So this incarnation is called Yajna. This incarnation is called Yajna. And interesting incarnation. Very interesting incarnation. Purport. The administrative posts occupied by the demigods for maintaining the regulations of the material world are offered to the highly elevated pious living beings. That means demigods are the most pious. 
When there is a scarcity of such pious living beings, the Lord incarnates himself as Brahma, Prajapati, Indra, etc. He couldn't find anyone to fill the job, so he would do it himself. Isn't that interesting? Like, How could he not find somebody qualified? So it seems like the job of uh, these demigods is very specialized, and not everyone can do it, not everyone's qualified. During the period of Swayambhuva Mano, the present period is of Vaishvas, Vaish, Vaivashvata Mano, Vaishvashvata, Vaivashvata Mano, there was no suitable living being who could occupy the post of Indra, the king of Indraloka, heaven, planet, king of the Indraloka, heaven, planet. The Lord himself at that time became Indra, assisted by his own sons like Yama and other demigods, Lord Yajna ruled the administration of the universal affairs. So Indra is the king of heaven, so he's got a big job. Brahma is the creator, but Indra's apparently Indra is the one who's really managing, although Brahma does, does his job. And so this morning... I did a search for Lord Yajna, and only two things came up, this verse and something else that just mentioned him. There's not much of a description. But when I read this verse, my immediate impression was, why doesn't Krishna just let this whole place go to hell? Because we're all the disobedient ones, and, you know, it's like, you know, the jail is, you know, it needs repairs, it needs renovation. But who, you know, do we really care that much? It's all murderers and rapists, and, you know, do we want to spend money on them? But but Christian doesn't think like that. And I remember a lecture in Prabhupada said, he said, a flower is a very low birth. Did you know that? especially an impious, a flower that doesn't have any fragrance, that's even lower than a flower that has fragrance. This prophet said it's an impious birth. But Krishna, still, although it's impious, he makes it beautiful. He, he makes it very beautiful. So, um, so that was my thought when I read the verse. I thought, Okay, this is a God for, we sometimes we say God forsaken. It's not actually God forsaken, but in a sense it's God forsaken. In the sense that Krishna lets us come here and create massive amounts of havoc and completely turn our back to him and completely neglect him and not listen to his advice. And still we're reading every day about a different incarnation. Now, why are the incarnations coming? Because they like it here? They want to have fun? Krishna enjoys being Indra? Of course not. Why are they coming? Because of, of Krishna's affection for us. That sometimes Prabhupada would say, like this verse, Rasa am hom apsukonteya prabhupada. No, punyo gandha prativyam cha. I am the fragrance of the earth. And you think, well, 
I don't smell any fragrance of the earth. It smells kind of bad sometimes. No. What Krishna means is you get different fragrances from the earth when you plant different seeds. So I believe Prabhupada was referring to this verse and he said, just see, you've all left Krishna and still he's given you so many delicious things to eat. You know, like, like imagine if your children all said, forget you, I want nothing to do with you. I never want to see you. I don't want to, I don't want to hear your instructions. I'll just turn their back on you. You might feel like, okay, if that's the way you feel, then I'm cutting you out of the will, which happened to me, and I'm sure it happened to several devotees whose parents didn't like the fact they were devotees. So that's a natural human response. Okay, forget it. You want to be on your own? Okay, do it. But Krishna's not like that. Although he, he, you could say he would be justified in doing that. So, and then the other thing, which is so interesting, so Krishna is saying, okay, you want to come to the, this world, this is not a good place, it's not a good decision, but you can do, here's Lord Yajna, but you can do Yajna, you can do sacrifice, and even though you're in this world, you could actually live nicely and peacefully. Although, you know, we say this world is bad, it's bad because people make it bad, but if we actually followed Krishna's instructions, it wouldn't be bad. In fact, Prabhupada said it would be like Satya Yuga, even though it's Kali Yuga. So the world is bad because life is temporary. And of course, there are many miseries, but they're reduced by following Krishna's instructions, doing yagya and so forth. So Krishna's he's like, not only is he feeding us and taking care of us, but he's saying, yes, and you could live this way in this world if you follow these instructions and do this jagya and it actually will be it won't be bad at all It'll be quite nice i'll provide everything you need and then here are the vedas which have the whole means for getting out of this so when you realize you made a mistake you can come back to me so we're never forsaken and you know sometimes devotees say well i don't feel krishna loves me and I say, how could you not feel he loves you? Look at all the incarnations that have come, and specifically Mahaprabhu and all the associates of Mahaprabhu that come, had have come with him and come after him, and ultimately Prabhupada comes here and makes all the sacrifice. For who? For why? For their fun? For their entertainment? For their recreation? Of course not. For you, for me, for all of us. So, so to say that Krishna doesn't love you it, it's not at all logical. Then, take it one step further. Lord Chaitanya comes in every Kali Yuga, but not in every Kali Yuga does he give prem, the premanam. Does he give love in the mood of the residence of Raja? So now he comes in that mood to give all of us totally unqualified. Completely. You actually know nothing in our history that qualifies us. To even, as we were saying yesterday, to even for Krishna even to give us the time of day. And then he comes and, and he says, here's love of Krishna. And in the holy name, and every day we're chanting the holy name. And then to think Krishna doesn't love me when he's giving me the holy name, which is personification of prema. It doesn't make sense. So, uh, sometimes when devotees are chanting and they're not really that absorbed, I tell them, just remember 
that the holy name is Krishna's, it's love in sound. It's Krishna's throwing his fish hook, so to speak, out to you to pull you back. That's what it is. So you say, I don't feel anything when I'm chanting. I say, well, meditate on that. Feel that, because that's what Krishna's doing. And in, uh, I think, Harinam Chintamani, it says that the most valuable thing Krishna has in his treasury is his holy name. And you might think, oh, oh, that makes sense. It's it's valuable to us, most valuable thing we have. But it's saying in his treasury, valuable to him. So you're thinking, well, does he chant his holy name? What does it mean? No, the most valuable thing to Krishna is his devotees. And the most valuable thing is the rasa between himself and his devotees. So the holy name will awaken that relationship. That's why it's the most valuable thing he has. I joke that if you ask Krishna, what give me the most valuable thing, of course some people would say, no, Radharani, that's my most... Of course you can't argue with that, but I joke that he would give you a mantra card, you know, here. This is the most valuable thing I have. That's it? I don't get diamonds and this... No, mantra card. Because with this mantra card, I can get your heart back because you won't give it to me. And I'm suffering. I want your heart. I feel an emptiness. You know, God is full and he feels an emptiness because he doesn't have your heart. And uh, last night we were talking about false ego. And false ego means you identify something as yours and you use it for yourself. So we've identified the body and the mind and consciousness as ours. And then we say, you have to surrender that to Krishna. And I don't want to surrender. That's heavy. You know, that word has such a negative connotation. But it's not actually surrender. You just have to, you have to give back what you've stolen. You've stolen your own mind and heart. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Krishna. And so you just have to give it back. That's what surrender means. Surrender. I'm not going to surrender. No, you stole my money. Surrender it back. Give it back. So when we say surrender, it's just giving back what belongs to Krishna. And so that's what he wants. So um, this morning I was meditating on... Just being how ungrateful, I was meditating on how ungrateful I am. Sometimes we don't take advantage of the process of devotional service. That's a sign of being ungrateful, isn't it? I mean, we don't necessarily think of it that way, but it is. If I were more grateful, I would be more serious about what I was given. Let's say you give me money. Mahatma Prabhu, thank you for coming. Here's $100,000. And then then you see a picture of me on Facebook riding in a $100,000 Mercedes. How would you feel? So I go, he's so ungrateful. I gave that for preaching. He's not using it properly. So here, here's sadhana bhakti. Here's Krishna consciousness. No, I think I'll just sleep. I think, you know, I'll chant tomorrow. So we might say, I'm weak. We might say I'm lazy, but I think we should also say we're not grateful for what we have because we'll utilize what we're grateful for, isn't it? And the more, you know, look what Prabhupada has given, look at the sacrifice he's made. How grateful are you? So, for example, how grateful are are we for the sacrifice Prabhupada made for writing his book? Well, the answer is, how often do you engage with the books? That's how grateful you are. I mean, that's one way of answering it. It's hard to say I'm grateful and not engage with the books on a regular basis and not and not feel uh, 
totally dependent on those instructions. How grateful are you that you have the holy name? Well, that depends how you chant it. How grateful? Anything. Anything. How do you use it? So I think this is a nice meditation. And another meditation, another thought I was having is this verse in Bhagavatam spoken by Lord Brahma uh, that a devotee thinks whatever happens to me, it's actually just a fraction or a token of what I deserve. The suffering I'm getting should be worse, but Krishna's minimizing it. But when we look at our own mentality, it's rare that we naturally think that way. We might come to that realization once we process it. But obviously a higher state of Krishna consciousness would not be you have to process it. You would just feel that way. Oh, something bad happened. Immediate response is, I know I deserve worse. But how many of us feel that way? We're always thinking, I deserve more. And that interferes with gratitude, doesn't it? So, so when we realize that we deserve worse, we can be grateful that the worst isn't happening and Krishna is allowing us to engage in his service. And of course, being in the material world, it's always going to be a problem. But devotees in general live fairly nice lives. You all look pretty fat and happy. You've got nice clothes on. You know, I'm sure you have a roof over your head. You're not sleeping in the park. So, of course, we could complain about so many things. But the mood of the devotee is, is, I don't deserve Krishna's mercy. And that's where so much appreciation comes. When you feel you don't deserve something, you naturally appreciate it when you have it, isn't it? So if you give me something, and it doesn't make sense that you would give it to me, because I didn't really do anything to deserve it, you, you say, Prabhu, come over, come over to my house, and then... You have this brand new car. So, I want to give you this car. I'm like, why? What did I ever do for you? No, I just. It's like, how much, how much appreciation would you have for that act if you didn't do anything to deserve it? And so, everything we're giving, we haven't earned. So it's kind of, it's kind of paradoxical that we wouldn't be appreciative for everything, isn't it? Because we didn't, because it's all a gift. We didn't deserve it. It's all being given. And what a paradox to say, I don't feel Krishna loves me, I don't feel my guru loves me, I don't feel Prabhupada loves me. Every guru is only doing that seva because his guru asked him to. He said, you give mercy to others. And so that guru sacrifices his life to give mercy. And how could we say we're not loved? It doesn't make sense. We're not only loved by one guru, we're loved by many gurus, isn't it? <laughs> I always joke with my wife. I say, materially, I'm very, I'm like too detached to, like, for my own good, because sometimes I neglect things. Like, like, I just neglect. And Krishna always like it's so fun. She she recognizes also because she's a little bit that way as well. Like we don't care that much all the time about material things, and sometimes, you know, if you don't care enough. Something lapses and you, you, you forgot to take care of it. It creates a problem. And in, through our whole life, at least since the time we are married, we always see that in those lapses where we were negligent, Krishna always somehow fills it up, you know, somehow or other, you know. Kind of like you fall asleep in the car and then your car, you know, skids and 
falls in some mud and it can't go, and then you wake up. Yeah, something like that, that Krishna would just come and take care of you. So we see that in our life over and over again. We <clears throat> we forget to do something or make a blunder, and then Krishna covers for us. So I think you all see that in your life. And so how what is there? How is it possible not to be in appreciative mode? That's what I was meditating on this morning, and I was thinking... I was thinking that I should have so much more appreciation than I do. It just doesn't make sense that we wouldn't be appreciating all the time everything that we're given. Of course, you know, Prabhupada's Vyasa Puja, we talk about him and what he's given and the gifts and so on. But this is a moment-to-moment. This should be a moment-to-moment reality. They hear, you know, Krishna's coming to to do the job of Indra. That's amazing. You know, He's got better things to do. right? But he cares. There's no one to do it. And this is the prison. And he cares about the well-being of the prisoners. Enough that he, you know, there's no prison guard. Okay. I'm, you know, it's like there's no prison guard. And Donald Trump says, okay, I'll do it. You know. <laughs> No politician would ever do that in a million years, Donald Trump or anyone. Not a criticism of him. Nobody would do it, right? So this is really, in a sense, inconceivable, isn't it? That Krishna would come in that position and incarnate. And then, but at the same time, we can say when you look at every incarnation, why are they incarnating? They're incarnating for who? You and me. That's who they're incarnating for. Not for fun, not because they like to come down here, but they're incarnating for you and me. Oh, of course, with Ranikashipu, Krishna wanted to come and have fun. But ultimately, what's behind it all is the Leela that would attract us back. Right? So ultimately, it's for us, isn't it? So that was my meditation on this verse. And we started late, and it's late. So I will stop and see if there are any questions. And if you, on the internet you want to ask questions, I don't know if I'm going to see them because it's kind of going strange right now. It's just your name keeps showing up over and over again. So why did some, can some of you, one of you, can one of you write Hare Krishna? Just so I want to see if it actually comes. Because if you did ask a question, I didn't see it. All I see is your names keep coming up. Looks like like 480 people. Oh yeah, okay. You can write something. Okay. Hare Krishna. So, um, yes. Mm. I was reading the other day about Prabhupada talking about chastising, and he was saying. The guru only has love. There's nothing else. Nothing else comes out of him. So when he's chastising you, it's he didn't say it this way, but the connotation was it's like the mother pulling the kid out of the street because the car is coming, you know, and the kid's crying because it hurt, and she grabbed his wrist, wrist and it hurt him. And then when he understands, you know, you would have died if I didn't do that. Oh, then so oh, you didn't hurt me on purpose. So Prabhupada was saying that. When the guru chastises the disciple, he's doing it to save the disciple from from making a mistake. 
and and it's his duty, and he must do it, and it's it's only out of affection. There's no question that the guru doesn't like the disciple. And if the guru is angry with the disciple, it's for the disciple's benefit. So in that way, Prabhupada was saying, there's no question of the guru having any other emotion towards the disciple than affection and favorable emotions. There's no question of the guru not being interested in the well-being of the disciple, even though sometimes it comes out as chastisement. And of course, nobody likes to be chastised because our sense of self gets depleted and makes us feel bad. But if we understand, no, this was actually this was actually out of love and affection that they've done it, then we can feel the affection even in the chastisement and we can be happy. That that our gurus only love us. That's all they only care about us. And we have so many gurus and so many well wishers. And and it's it's I don't know. Maybe some of you know there's a verse. I, I vaguely remember a verse that's saying that, you know, we know this verse, the earth cannot tolerate a liar. Or was it the earth cannot tolerate a lawyer? What was it? I forget the verse. Yeah, Same thing. So he can say it because he's a lawyer. I can't say it. Although I said it. But um, I vaguely remember something like, like, there's no person lower than an ungrateful person. Did Krishna tell it to the gopis or somewhere? You know, um, nothing's lower than an ungrateful person. But um, it it makes sense. I don't have the exact reference. <laughs> Shakespeare is good enough. I think Krishna expanded himself in some of the things he said. Um, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Like. You're, you're given something and you're not grateful. What kind of person are you? And one of the most interesting things of, about the Vedas is they, they describe qualities of asuras, but they also describe qualities of non-humans, subhuman, like what is considered civilized and what's below civilized. And basically, your standard average person in this world doesn't really make it to the human form by those standards. You know, you you know, you criticize politicians, they're this, they're that, but they're pretty much the way everyone is. And those are the qualities that are considered not human yet. Like you become angry. I was reading this morning the the divine and demoniac qualities of the first verse. Dumb is so funny. The first word is dumbo. Which means pride. You Dumbo, yeah, Dumbo Darpa, pride and arrogance, and harshness and conceit and so forth. And I was like, wow. Yeah, we can recognize these qualities; they're quite common, aren't they? Yeah, they're quite common amongst certain people in the forefront. So, uh, what was what was my point? I was making hell. Uh, oh yeah, that um, this this is like a subhuman quality. You, you're not e- you're not even appreciating what you're given. Like what what could be so low? And but I just wanted to make the point that these these qualities, which are considered subhuman, are things like not being clean, getting angry, not being forgiving, not like major like Adolf Hitler type things. 
just, you know, you're not, you're not really considered a civilized human being because you're angry, you're envious, you're harsh, you're not forgiving. What to speak of not appreciating? You had a question, comment? <laughs> yeah, and, and we think we're devotees. That's the icing on the cake, yeah. I'm a devotee. Well, you know, maybe you should think about becoming a human being first. That might help your bhakti, you know. Might help you get up there. Yes. But it's true. I mean, we, we see that in in the in, in these demoniac qualities that sometimes surface because they've been well cultivated for lifetimes. And, and we wonder, how is it that I'm a devotee and this surfacing? And the answer is, well, are you a devotee? Because how is it that you would have all these qualities if you're like, oh, okay, I'm trying to be a devotee and there's some devotional quality. Okay, yeah, we're trying and there's something there. But, you know, the reflection. If How much is bhakti is there and how much of this other stuff is there and and what does it mean? It's always good to be humble and be um, honest. And that, yeah, we do, we are challenged. And being a devotee, no, I, I'm trying. Uh, and I'm just praying Krishna doesn't kick me out and it lets me engage in service. And I'm trying to follow as best I can. You wanted to say something? Oh, or that something that yeah, this is um, Dharma's asking the question <clears throat> if if we say that devotees are taken care of, but sometimes we see something is lacking or or maybe some unfortunate situation comes. How is that? I was I was just reading how Prabhupada was saying if you just take shelter at Krishna's feet, you'll always be taken care of. And so maybe it's how we define being taken care of and maybe maybe these other things are necessary for purification. I think, you know, with our American standard, it's like how come you have a 5,000 square foot home and I don't? You know, Krishna doesn't love me. Sometimes we might go in that direction. And there is some karmic influence also through the past activities. There's something is there. As we can see, not all devotees just have the same standard of living or the same degree of success. So, generally, we would answer that these are things that are needed, and these things will help the devotee if they allow themselves to react in a proper way. And it may be, you know, residual karma that they have to go through. And um, acceptance is always the key. If I, you know, let's say your life is great, and I live next door to you, and my life is miserable, so then. It's really hard for me to accept my situation because I look at you and everything's going great for you. And acceptance is real is a real key element that this is this is what's happening to me, this is who I am, this is what I have created in this life or a past life. And I need to be able to accept that and also try to understand what I'm supposed to understand from all this. And maybe there's nothing more to understand than acceptance, that this is how it is that I have a material body, I make choices, and there are consequences, and this is 
where I am. Um, sometimes the the choices are innocent, but the consequences are not. <laughs> and we can reflect, yeah, I made this choice. You know, I get on the freeway, someone slams into me. Okay, it's their fault, yeah, but I chose to go on the freeway. So possibility of that happening is there. So I can't blame them entirely. And and ultimately, you know, it, this sounds insensitive. It's a, it's a philosophical statement because if we're suffering, we don't want to be insensitive. But when we're suffering, ultimately, well, Prabhu, you were the one who did decide to take birth here and take a body. If you didn't make that decision, you wouldn't have this problem right now. Whatever that problem is, you're being sued or divorced or you you broke your knee or whatever. Well, you know, you didn't have a material body, you wouldn't have this problem, and ultimately you wanted it. So we couldn't. We that's a. Re, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily tell that to someone who's not ready to hear it. But it's a reflection we can make on ourselves. That you know, whatever suffering there is, ultimately, you know, the pain in my knee or the this or that or the pain in the neck that someone's giving me, this or that. It's you know, well, what do you expect? You know, it's like going into the prison and complaining about the food. Well, you know, when you rob the bank, you should have considered that prison food isn't that good. <laughs> and you might get caught. So, you know, of course, they'll say, well, I didn't know when I I came here it was going to be like that. Okay, we didn't know, but you know now. So now you have no excuse. So now if we're suffering... And our suffering is created by our ignorance. So who are we to blame? You can't blame Maya. You have to blame blame your choice to be in Maya. Right? Like sometimes we say Maya is strong. In some ways, it's an excuse for my weakness. What do you expect? Maya is strong, isn't it? So you may not be conscious that you're actually making an excuse by saying Maya is strong. You think you're just talking philosophy. You might just be making an excuse, right? My strong, what a prophet can say. No, no, it's not like that. You're weak. Your purpose is, my strong. No, no, your purpose is weak. That's what it is. That's how prophet wanted us to see it. So, yeah, it's good to be honest about these things. Yes. We have some questions here. I'm going to give them a break. Let me see if I can find those questions. You can hold on a second. The way this is working now, um, it's, it's like your names keep coming up, and so to find your questions, I have to filter through like name after name. Now I even think I can find it. I don't know. Do you want a Facebook expert and why these names keep coming up? Yeah. Uh, we're responsible. Get reality as it is. So how can we change it if majority do not? Cows are so mystical. Did you have experience the service of cows? Yes, I did. Um, I'm not sure the question. We're responsible to get reality as it is. So how can we change it if majority do not? not sure what you're asking. How can we change reality? I don't think you can. You can change the way you see 
your reality. And as far as others, um, oh, I think you're asking, how can we change if the other person doesn't change? Like, let's say I'm harassing Dharma, and he wants to be a nice guy, and I'm always pinching him and disturbing him, so how can he be a nice guy if someone's pinching him all the time? Prabhupada said, an advanced devotee does not allow anyone or anything to affect him. That's the answer. There is no other answer. That, um, And then you can think, Dharma can think, oh, Krishna sent Mahatma to help me learn how to be tolerant. I need to practice tolerance, so here's something to tolerate. And, you know, how am I going to practice tolerance if there's nothing to tolerate? Right? Can't practice anything unless, you know, like you want to practice boxing. You're, so they get another guy to fight with you. And they'll get an old, like, ex-heavyweight champion and fight with him, you know. And if he's stronger than you, you'll come up. But if, if he's weaker, you know, that doesn't help. So. so what do they say sometimes? God sends an enemy to what, teach you compassion like that. Uh, I'm reminded of this choice, especially when I ride the New York City during rush hour, the NYC, the subway. Everyone is suffering. But it reminds me that I chose to take this body, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, always remember, if things don't go the way you want them to, you did make the choice to come into a world where you have very little control, even of your own body or mind. You know, you can get an illness and your body starts doing things. Like I couldn't remember a minute ago. It's very frustrating when you can't control your own body and mind, isn't it? Well, we made that choice. Yes, you're on. Hare Krishna. Thank you for some really nice points, especially about the point of being grateful, mm-hmm. especially being grateful to your Guru Maharaj. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we are we are grateful to our, our Guru, our Parampara. And I've heard that, you know, sometimes devotees or disciples are trying to be very close to their Guru. You know, when Srila Prabhupada was here, everybody was trying to get just closer, physically mm-hmm. closer. And if you can't, then, you know... If you, you can or can't? You cannot, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you cannot, then you start getting this feeling that, oh, you know, maybe I need some more appreciation or something. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do we Recognition. think about that? Yeah. Well, first thing I would like to say is there were some devotees who weren't trying to get close because they felt closer through service. Uh, like, for example, you've heard of Jayananda Prabhu and sometimes... When Prabhupada was giving darshan, he would say, where's Jayananda? And they say, oh, he's doing service. He felt closer to Prabhupada doing service. And he felt, he felt like, why should I sit in the room and do nothing when I could be actually serving Prabhupada? So he felt closer doing service. So, um, so that's one aspect of your question to take into consideration. And the other aspect of your question is, if I'm not close, then... I may feel like I need some recognition to know. No, so okay. So, or or when you see others closer, and you get 
Yeah, I'm jealous of them, yeah. Well, I think the, the example of Jayananda partially answers the question that I can actually get close through service and I can feel reciprocation through service. And and what to speak like now for the disciples of Tamal Krishnamaraj, the disciples of Bhakti Tirtha Swami, the disciples of Gorgo Vindamaraj, Prabhupada's disciples, how do they get close now? But if you ask them, do you feel close to your Guru Maharaj? Many, or if not all, will say, Yes, some will say, I feel closer now because I've had to really, really grasp who he is. And, and the only way I can get close now is through hearing his instructions and following them. Where I could get so-called close before physically. So I think that's important because if, if we don't get that, then when our guru departs, we're going to have a very difficult time because we were used to the physical association. Now, as far as wanting recognition, I can definitely say for myself, and I think I can speak for all the disciples of Prabhupada, we wanted to tell him you know, good news, news of successful preaching, and we wanted him to smile and say, yes, very good. But that was a different kind of recognition. It wasn't based on false ego. It was based on knowing that I'm pleasing him. So if you want that, that's good. If you want the other recognition and it's out of envy or jealousy, that is actually has nothing to do with Krishna consciousness. And that's something we have to learn today or tomorrow or sometime while, we'll st- while, while, we're still in, while we are still in this body to overcome. Because it actually has no place in the spiritual world. It's very firmly situated in the material world. And we are somehow or other going to have to learn to be okay with who we are and maybe we're not the number one disciple and be okay with that and be happy that my god brother or god sister is the number one. Somehow or other, that's the challenge we have, we have to learn. So to, to want to be acknowledged that you've done something, you did book distribution, to be acknowledged that, um, Guru Maharaj, are you pleased? That's different than I want to be put in front of the temple and, and announced that I'm I'm the the man this week. We don't want that. We want to be in the back of the temple where no one sees us, no matter what we've done. So we want to please our Guru Maharaj and we want we want to know he's pleased. So they asked Prabhupada, Well, when we're serving you, how do we know you're pleased? Because we're supposed to please the guru, and he says, and Prabhupada said, I asked the temple president. And he tells me, if he's pleased, then I'm pleased. You know, if he's doing nicely. So, the way I've adjusted this, if adjusted is the right word, is that if I sincerely try to serve my spiritual master's instructions, I take it for granted that he's pleased. Because there's no reason to believe he isn't pleased because he was always pleased when we did this. I make a sacrifice to serve him according to what he wants. I have, I have to accept that he's pleased. Why wouldn't he be pleased? I'm doing what he asked me, and he was always pleased. And he's easily pleased. And, and we can turn that around. If I do what he doesn't want, then how can I think he's pleased? Because you have the opposite. 
And sometimes devotees think, oh, my Guru Maharaj would understand the fact that I can't follow this or do that or this or that. And rationalize it. No, we should be honest and say, no, I don't think he's pleased that you're doing this because that would be the impetus to rectify it. Um, I was just listening yesterday to Abhi Ram Prabhu. Um, and he said something which, which I have often thought about, but the way he said it just made a strong impression upon me. He was talking about Prabhupada dealing with disciples who weren't following the principles. And he basically, Abhiram was basically saying Prabhupada was more or less in shock. He actually couldn't believe that someone would make a promise and not keep it because in the world he grew up in and the world he lived in, people were gentle ladies and gentlemen. And if they said they were going to do it, they did it, even if it was difficult, even if later they didn't want to do it. So to think that the guru would not be displeased when you disobey his instruction? No, don't think that way. And to think he wouldn't be pleased when you obey his instruction, don't think that way either. And you'll always be close. And uh, and again, if we don't learn this lesson, we'll have to learn it after they depart, and it'll be more painful that way, more difficult. You better learn it now. Uh, I tell a story of one of my godbrothers, it must have been 1975 or 1976, Prabhupada coming to Los Angeles. And I lived in California in my formative Krishna conscious years. I grew up in California. And so Prabhupada was coming to L.A. And L.A. Temple is very big and all the devotees were there at the airport. And he told me that day, he said, today I'm going to distribute 108 books. Normally he distributed 20 or 30. Today he's going to stay out long enough to distribute 108. And he said, if I just see Prabhupada come through the airport, that's all I need. I just have to see him, and that will give me the inspiration. And he actually did it. And so I remember to this day, I went up to him. I said, you know, Prabhupada's there. It was totally ecstatic. I say, you know, teasing. Are you going to come back with us? Like, you know, here's where the nectar is. He said, no. He told me, he said, no. I saw Prabhupada. He just saw Prabhupada walk through. He didn't move from his Sankirtan spot. I saw Prabhupada walk through. He said, "That's it. That's all I need. I'm good for. I'm good for today, and I'm good for the next year." So, uh, a beautiful story of closeness. That I'm closer at the airport than going back. And then, one time, Prabhupada was in his garden with all his sannyasis, and. They, uh, Prabhupada asked, where's Sri Parari Swami? And they said, oh, Prabhupada, he's out on Sankirtan distributing books. And Prabhupada said, oh, he's doing better service than all of you by going out there. You're sitting here. So you know, indirectly you could say, he's closer to me. Prabhupada's saying, he's closer to me than all of you, even though he's 10 miles away. So these things are important to remember. It's not, you know, we, we can't see these relationships materially. That there's a whole other dimension to them. And um, one of my disciples wrote me and said, I'm having all these dreams of Prabhupada, like, like I was there with him. Like th- these were my experiences. And I said, you must have been his disciple in your last life. Otherwise, why would you have... She's having dreams like she's the disciple. Interesting. So, so you know, we're multidimensional here. Where we were before and 
Sometimes I see younger devotees in the temple and I think, you know, you could have been my Sankirtan partner in 1975, you know, just based on your age, you know. It's highly possible, isn't it? Like, you know, for us as older devotees, and, you know, devotees who may have died when they were 40, 50 years old, now they'd be like 20. And we could have been, you know, associates. Who knows? Yes. Thank you, Prabhu. One more question was, in the purpose, Shila Prabhupada says that sometimes when there are no pious souls, you know, to take the position of Brahma or Indra, Krishna comes in to to take that position. And I was thinking, I've read it somewhere, I might be wrong, that when the Jiva Atma comes into the material world, they start as Brahma. Brahma, yeah. So then, <laughs> if that happens, then... Getting complicated. Yeah. Maybe they don't fall into all the universe. No, 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 Not I'm not going there. But I'm just thinking that if we are so pious to start as Brahma, then what happens? Or what happens after Brahma? Yeah, what oh, happens? Like, yeah. Why, why, why are there no because, pious souls? Because the desire to control and enjoy... If it doesn't get purified, it's not It's not that Brahma, every Brahma wouldn't get purified, but if that desire to control and enjoy doesn't get purified, then it degrades the living entity. This is a natural downfall. But sometimes they also come... Yeah, um, yeah. And then sometimes the demigods fall down uh, in their tears when they're leaving their body because they lived such a nice life and then they have to leave the heavenly abode and they're crying and they're suffering and the soul goes down in a tear, becomes a grain eaten by an animal and they work their way up again. So the moral of the story is get out of here as soon as possible because being, you know, it's a, 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 another answer. You know, I think there's a urban legend urban rumor, which is not true, which is a, an assumption we all make, that if I don't become Krishna conscious in this life, it'll, it'll happen in the next life. You know, I'll be in a more advantageous position. But there's no guarantee that you'll be better off in the next life. You don't know. So in one lecture, Prabhupada said, you know, he's quoting the verse about yoga, brashta, vijayate, you know, you, you take birth in a Brahmin family or a wealthy family. And he said, so you'll take birth in a wealthy family, but let's say you didn't become purified because you still had some material attachment. And now you take birth in a wealthy family, and so mix those two together. There's a synergy between your material attachment and your opulent position. And maybe now you have this attachment, but there's no opulence. But because of your Krishna consciousness, you get born in Beverly Hills. And you think you're God's gift to the world, because I grew up pretty close to Beverly Hills. And... I was just with my sister, and she was telling me how um, there's so little humility amongst the group of people we grew up with, more wealthy Jewish people in, in Los Angeles. The, you know, as a, as a group, their, their, their humility levels are very low compared to other groups. And so you're born in that situation, even though you're a devotee, and let's say you're born in this kind of culture where people are, are smarter, wealthier, think they're better, it's going to be harder for you. So even Lord Brahma, if you know, 
Lord Brahma was chasing his daughter, right? So the devotee said, Prabhupada, he's like the head of our sampradaya. How could he chase his daughter? And Prabhupada said, just try to understand if he can do it, what about you? So that's what you take away. So that's the takeaway. You know, why didn't Lord Brahma go back to Godhead? Great question. And if he didn't, then what about us? We're in a tenuous situation. So now we have this advantage that we've been given Mahaprabhu's mercy, Prabhupada's mercy. And so we should understand, if we don't take the mercy, we have no hope. Even Brahma couldn't do it. Right? We'll just go straight down by our nature. And so without that kripa, even your Lord Brahma, you just go down. Or you're some demigod, you go down. You're Navakovera Manigriva, you go down. Nobody is spared. I was just, oh yeah, my sister was telling me. She's 72, and she's saying, you know, I have all these friends who are getting, you know, facelifts here and cut here and breast this and rear end this, and, you know, they're trying to look sexy so they can attract Men. Right? 72, 73. Like, don't you think you should give up? Like, just call it quits and, you know, go to Vrindavan? So, and I'm thinking, look at it. You know, we know the philosophy. The whole world is bound by this. And it's being shown to us all the time. And don't think that that's not going to happen to me if I give up my spiritual life, if I offend a devotee, if I weaken my practice, if I offend the holy name, we'll be doing the same thing. You'll be there getting your Botox and, you know, your hair transplants and dyeing your hair and, you know, getting the fat cut off and wearing the sexy clothes. You know, don't think you won't do it. Or or working. You know, these people, they're like 75, they have so much money, they don't know what to do with it and they're still working to make more money. You know, don't think we won't fall into that. You know, we're fortunate, and as long as we accept that fortune, appreciate it, we'll be okay. So that's Prabhupada's. I think that answer is the answer you wanted. Prabhupada said, "Yeah, just see, Lord Brahma. What about you? Who are you, and compared to Lord Brahma, how careful you have to be?" And this was also a, a huge, a huge problem for us in the early days of the movement, because we thought anyone who became a devotee would never leave, because no one would be that stupid. And anyone who became a devotee would never again engage in material activity, because why would you? You're, you're so happy and blissful, and you have so much knowledge. And then the first shockers came, where you know the senior elevated sannyasi leaves Krishna consciousness. And could you imagine for these fragile young devotees, how that affected us? You know, the, you, the most respected person or two falls down. You know, you think, well, it's bad when a guru falls down. I think we were in more state of shock than when a guru falls down because we thought these people are infallible. We never saw a fall down. You know, now, if your guru falls down, it's like, oh well, <laughs> what can you do? You know, it happens. You know, but. I mean, you wouldn't actually say it that way, but on some level you might take it that way because he wouldn't be the first anymore. But when this happened, we were in a state of shock. And the senior devotees, that's what they told us. They said, if he fell down, what about you? Think of that. 
someone more advanced than me had trouble, I need to be careful. That was the message. So that's the message. You know. If someone falls down, don't give up. Become more serious. And see, what happened in, in, in around 1978, well, no, it was about 1982, we had some trouble. That was when the first trouble hit big time in ISKCON. And then again, it hit big time in 1986. And what I noticed at that time was, although it was only a few of the gurus that fell, some disciples were losing faith in their gurus, thinking, oh, maybe he's next. Or maybe behind doors, he's as fallen as the other ones. It was, it was, a, it was a loss of faith because of the falling of another guru. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I noticed this. It was very clear. I don't know. I don't want to say it was pervasive, but in place, I saw it in some devotees. They were losing faith in their guru because another guru fell. So it's difficult. And, and we don't want to lose faith when we see, Lord. well, if Lord Brahma can't do it, what to speak of me? No, you can do it, even though he couldn't. You have the process. You can, even though he fell... You can actually do it. But I, I worshipped him. I thought he was so far more advanced. No, you can do it even though he didn't. And you have to do it and you have to be careful. That's the message. Otherwise, he can damage us. Well, you know, this advanced devotee fell. Why should I even try? And probably they're all fallen. It's just going to come out. And that's what they used to say. The people who kind of turned against this kind of say, yeah, this one fell but they're all fallen. It's just being hidden, and it's all going to come out. So as soon as you say that, your spiritual life is over. Goodbye to you. Maha Aparad. Because of one person's fault, you offend everybody. And then you spend the rest of your life offending. That's what happened to many people. They've been committing Maha Aparads for like 40 years, and then you can't get them to stop. It's like every day somebody winds them up. And they're out. They're out there condemning, you know, the same people over and over again, saying the same things they've said a million times, which are all untrue. Hoping that someone will buy into it. And so that's the ramification of not thinking, well, if Brahma did it, I have to be careful. This could happen to me. As opposed to, well, Brahma did it, all the demigods are bogus. Everybody's bogus. It's Kali Yuga, there's no, only Prabhupada, nobody else. Then you have Ritvik, only Prabhupada, nobody else. Ritvik is a, it's a loss of faith. Because a few people fell, that faith was lost, and therefore Ritvik. And Apasiddhanta was adopted so that these people could have faith. Interesting, isn't it? You, you know, you can't... You, when you talk philosophy in, in this context, you have to talk psychology also. It was a loss of faith that fostered an Apasiddhantic conclusion about guru that you can't find anywhere in Shastra. And the proof that it's opposedonic and offensive is they they when a person adopts that philosophy, they start becoming offensive to people who are spiritual masters. So and then they destroy themselves and they destroy faith in other people. So faith is the foundation of your bhakti. 
And their service is to destroy it in the name of we're Prabhupada Nugas. It's amazing, isn't it? Think about it. You know, they're on a mission to destroy your faith and your guru by teaching you that your guru illegally took this position of spiritual master and he shouldn't because only Prabhupada is a guru and Prabhupada never asked him to do it. So now, but your guru has thousands of disciples and thousands of disciples are doing well, spreading Krishna consciousness. They have strong sadhana, the temple's growing and they're trying to tell you they're bogus. Well, if they're bogus, how did this happen? This doesn't happen when the guru is bogus. Plenty of bogus gurus out there. This is not happening. So they're trying to undermine the faith and guise it as some kind of revelation and philosophy. And so that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why, that's why not processing the fall of a, of a senior is dangerous because it can destroy faith and destroy, it could also destroy faith in yourself, but you could even do it. So, there are other things we could say about Ritvik, but that just comes to mind in this context. We're supposed to be faith builders, not faith destroyers. You, you. I had to learn this hard lesson. Here we are, we're all equal, we're all God brothers, you know. Sometimes we fight, we go on Sankirtan together. We sleep together. We wake one another up when they're snoring. We tell them you're eating too many sweets. You know, it's just like... And then the next day he's on the Vyasasan and Guru Puja is being done to him. That was tough. Really tough. But I learned a lesson that saved me. Never interfere between the faith of the Guru and disciple, no matter what you think. Unless that Guru has obviously fallen helplessly and cannot revitalize himself in Krishna consciousness and he cannot form perform the function of guru. Your services always instill faith in a person's a faith in their guru. You never should it's like we say, don't get in the way between husband and wife, don't get in the way between guru and disciple. You always want to foster faith because faith is what is sustaining our Krishna consciousness. And if that faith is broken it destroys us. So you always want to nourish faith, even if you don't agree. You think, well, you know, maybe I think this guru has uh, said something that maybe he shouldn't have said. But you have absolute faith in him, and what he said, it's not just my opinion, it's not a big thing. I will always do the best I can to ensure that you have faith in that person. That's, that's so important. And so that's what happened. When a senior falls then it opens up this Pandora box of faith, faith being cracked. And then the Ritvik people, that's their, that's their, the alarm goes off and goes, now we can get in. Say, look at, he was bogus, we told you. All of you have gurus, they're all going to fall, they're all bogus. You're not Krishna conscious, you can't be, etc. And so they're faith destroyers, that's their mission. Their mission is to destroy faith. In the name of faith to Prabhupada, their mission is to destroy faith. It's really bad. Really bad. And their, and their impetus is not coming from something transcendental. It's coming from a very dark place. Hmm. Does that make sense? Hmm. How can I leave this body and go back to Krishna? 
Oh, that's easy. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram. Chant without offense. In the last 28 years, I have failed chanting my rounds. Sometimes I chant more than 16 rounds. Most of the time, it doesn't last more than four or six weeks. Then I keep trying again. Then I failed again. And this has been like that for 28 years. The only thing I could recommend is getting a taste because if you have a taste, it's hard to stop chanting. And um, you can go online and get my book, um, Chop Affirmations. I think that could help you on Amazon. Or if you're in Dallas, you can get it today for only $5 while they last. I should have brought the books to class. I'll bring tomorrow. Because if I just bring them Sunday, actually I should have brought I have this book called Joppa Affirmations. And they're probably going to sell out tonight at the program because I don't have that many. Someone want to go to my room and get them? Where's all my trusted disciples? They disappear. They're, they're, there's a... um. There's a box by the door. It has all the books, but at least the the Joppa books are the only ones. A little small. The only ones I don't have. I only have like five left. Yeah. I mean, if you guys want them, this is your big chance because they'll they're going to sell. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I love when you tell the stories about Prabhupada. They're so uplifting, eye-opening. I hope. The younger devotees out there understand that you are opening the door to Srila Prabhupada to them and they should listen, learn, and apply. Okay, all you younger devotees, listen, learn, and apply. No one any longer has to struggle with japa because now the book, Japa Affirmations, is available to you. And so you can go on Amazon, Japa Affirmations, Mahatma Das. You can order Kindle version or you can order a print version. Mm. Yes. Well, I think the answer is subjective because what helps me may not help you. But it's basically what what our Shastra says. Living, I lived in Mayapur. I lived in Vrindavan for two years. I lived in Mayapur for six. That was tremendous. Uh, I don't think there's anything I could have done that would have had the same effect on me. Um, Upgrading my japa to above five on a scale of one to ten. When I say five, five means you're not going up or down. Below five, you're you're going down. Going down means ten years from now, you'll, you won't, you may be worse off than you are now, at least in terms of the quality of your japa, maybe your general spiritual life. Above five, you're going up. Um, consistently chanting good rounds, like not sometimes, but every day. Uh, huge difference. Um, associating with devotees, especially my god brothers, studying Prabhupada's books regularly. Synergistic also. And of course, giving Krishna consciousness to others, sharing it, teaching it. I have to do that. That's my nature. But the spiritual benefit, aside from my nature, there's a huge spiritual benefit doing it. 
I like to say that when all else fails, just get good association. That'll that'll solve your problems. And like the devotees here are saying, you know, I, I'm having trouble with my japa. Well, Bhaktivedanta Thakur says, chant with someone who doesn't have trouble. That, that is an interesting, interesting that he said that. You know, it, it, you might say, is it that easy? That's all I have to do is find someone that chants good japa and just sit next to them and chant. Well, sometimes yes, that's all you have to do. So we have this solution of sangha, and sangha is so powerful that if I'm lacking in some way and you're not, just by me being with you, it will make up for my lack because I'll get what you have. So that's that's like the emergency. B12 shot, you know, when you get depleted of B12 and you get a shot and just you wake up and you run around the block a hundred times. And, and you know, nothing else you tried was giving you energy. Well, it's, sometimes it's like that. That sangha is like that. So we're waiting for maternal turnout because um, the job, if you want to get the Japa books, I just offer it to you because I want to... Um, Reciprocate because you come to class. At least you can have first, because they're gonna they'll sell tonight. Because I don't have that many at the program tonight. I don't know if he found them though. That's another thing. Yes, I have a question for you. But first of all, thank you for that wonderful class. You're welcome. Um, you mentioned about um, humility that yes. we should always be humble. So I have a two part question to humility. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that um, humility is sometimes linked with low self-esteem. Yes. And how is it different? And well, let's let's take this question and generalize it to how is how do you distinguish between something material and something spiritual, like like lamentation? How do you distinguish if I'm lamenting if it's spiritual or material? you want to look at how it manifests. What's the consequence of that? So if it's humility, the consequence will be different than if it's low self-esteem. Now you might say, but the Acharyas, they seem to lament when they're describing all their faults, and that sounds like low self-esteem. But look at their lives. They're, they're not walking around in this morose mood. I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Their humility is actually bringing them closer to Krishna. Krishna, I want you more. That humility makes them more dependent on Krishna. Because that's another aspect of humility is that I need, because of my fallen condition, I need you. Low self-esteem is more of a helpless. Like, what's the use? I'm so bad, why try? I hate myself. A humble, uh, genuinely humble person doesn't hate themselves. They hate the fact they're not Krishna conscious, but they don't hate themselves. There's a difference, right? I'm so bad because I'm not Krishna conscious. That's one way of looking at it. But it's so bad that I'm not Krishna conscious. That's you know, it's it's bad that I'm not humble. But I'm so bad because I'm not humble. That's low self-esteem. It's bad that I'm not humble. That's humility. Humility also means that I think everyone's better than me. But if you have low self-esteem, you may think everyone's better than you, but you may not because that thought would depress you. So you may, a lot of times you adjust with low self-esteem and you become arrogant to try to make up for how you feel. 
So you will never see that kind of arrogance in a humble person, obviously. If they're humble, they're not arrogant. But you'll see, you often see that in someone with low self-esteem. And a humble person can take feedback and criticism and correction. Low self-esteem, you can't. Actually, a humble person wants to be corrected. A humble person, they live, they live very clearly with an understanding of where they lack, but it doesn't discourage or depress them. Low self-esteem, you get discouraged and depressed when you focus or meditate on what's wrong with you. I mean, I could go on, but I have a... If you go on my SoundCloud, there's a course called Self-Compassion and Self-Envy and Self-Compassion, and it talks talks all about this topic of being envious of yourself, um, what self-compassion means in a Krishna conscious context, what self-envy means. So it could be useful. You had another question? Um, it's similar to what you said that um, like we should always, it's always good to be always humble. So um, in the context that um, like in Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna was humble to Krishna. He surrendered to Krishna and he mm-hmm. received his instructions. By this. And then after that, like he went to war. So like how can we see his humility in that way? Because, I mean, he was fighting. He was... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually very simple. Um, he's asking, how can you see Arjun as humble if he's fighting? Because humble doesn't seem like... Fighting doesn't seem humble. Most people that I meet have very cloudy definitions of humility, or maybe we can say they're more material. If someone's attacking you and I attack them to save you, that's uh, another manifestation of humility, and I'll explain why. Because Prabhupada said to do that. And if I follow Prabhupada's instructions, that's a sign of humility. If I don't follow his instructions, I'm proud. So when Arjuna said, I don't want to fight, he looked humble. He looked very sattvic and brahminical. But he was disobeying Krishna's instructions. And so to disobey Krishna's instructions, even if you act humbly, is not humble. Right? And to follow Krishna's instructions, even if it looks like you're not acting humbly, is humility. Wow, there they are. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's in that box, yeah. So we have, that one's in Spanish. If you speak Spanish, we have it in Spanish. Okay, I'm going to count, do the count out. This is all we have left? Oh my God. That's it, huh? It looks like this is all we have left. There's two in English and like five in Spanish. So two fortunate people can get it this morning. And then the rest of you can get it on uh, Amazon. We're reprinting in the next few days. We're going to reprint. Okay. There's one for you. We're reprinting, but they're all in India. And they won't. I won't get them back to America for, I don't know, six months or so. Espanol? No. Nada. I think. So, um, yeah, okay. So we can, is that, yeah. So you, you know, whenever asking a question, how do you distinguish between two things which seem the same, but we know are different because one would be spiritual material, you, you look by symptom. And anything that's Krishna conscious, 
brings you closer to Krishna and inspires you. Anything that's not pulls you away and depresses you. So you can be lamenting, I'm so fallen, I'm so bad, but that could be pulling you closer to Krishna. I'm so fallen, I'm so bad, Krishna, I need you. I'm not so fallen, I'm not so bad, Krishna, I don't need you. Or I'm so fallen, I'm so bad, why even try? You don't like me. That's the most... I'm so fallen, Krishna doesn't like me. That's the low self-esteem. I'm so fallen, I need Krishna. That's humility. And I know he loves me. Okay, we can end here. We'll see you all tomorrow, same time. Same station. Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Sisi Radha Kalachanji, Ki Jai, Go Pemanandi.